And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the grandpapa of the Alphavedic family, Mr. Dr. Bear Paul Lando. Uh, so, so uh, amazing to have you. Oh. Oh, Mike glitched on us right out of the blocks there. Just you and I, Marty. <laughs> So uh, what what now? Do we share baking recipes or what do we what do we do here? You know, that's not a bad idea. I just got some uh, new not. sourdough starter and uh, I'm getting ready to oh, nice. go into full on bread production here. Oh, that's fantastic. So how is the farm? <laughs> the farm is uh, the farm is uh, like keeping us uh, busy all the time. It's like crazy, but uh, off to a great season. We'll talk more about that. You know, we're exchanging weather stories too. And uh, man, things are really growing weird. We lost a lot of food and uh, fruit and everything with all the extended rains. It's uh, like right now it's raining again outside. It's, it's like we never left winter this year. It's crazy. Yeah, that's weird. And yeah. I hear rumors that they are seeding the clouds now besides our normal chemtrailing. They're citing to seed the clouds with it. What is it? Um, silver oxide, is it? Uh, which is also extremely toxic to plants and, uh, and all life forms. And uh, that's also accounting for why we're getting unusually wet weather in certain regions. And curiously enough, they're not seeding the clouds in the areas that need the water the most. <laughs> so uh, go figure that one. <laughs> well, yep, like we were saying before we... Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I just saw a thing, drought. We know everything's in massive drought scare, and then you've got flooding everywhere else. So yeah, out of imbalance. Go ahead, Marty. <laughs> Yeah, like I was saying right before we got on, we went live. Um, we just had a tornado last night that touched down really close. So we're out of power we're on backup power right now. And so and then we just had hail, I don't know, maybe four or five days ago. And I was telling you guys, this is our planting season right now because we're in zone four. So this is when people are planting. So as soon as people get their, you know, starts or whatever in the grounds, things start growing. Boom. You know, they just hammer. So lots was destroyed for sure. Yeah. And you have a short growing season there. You know, we're in zone nine. So how is uh, the Wisconsin homestead? Uh, it's good. Actually, we just put in the garden. I just rabbit proofed the garden, just got water catchment. Um, you know, we're setting up a rabbit hutch. We're going to raise some rabbits and then hopefully, you know, expand to mm -hmm. bees and, and, and chickens next mm -hmm. year. But um, yeah, it's been good uh, all in all. We, we'd like to get off grid completely right now. We just sort of have a solar backup. You know, just because yeah. of situations like this, um, but that's costly and everything. But all in all, it's been good, you know, setting up for hunting. And it's it, yeah, it's a process. Uh, it's really a process. You know, a lot of people are talking about getting off the grid and raising their food and being more self-sufficient, but they don't realize you don't just buy a few seeds and start up tomorrow. You know, we've start. This is about our third off, well, fourth off-grid uh, farm operation. And this one, we're in the year seven, and we're just getting started with uh, completing zone one out of five permaculture zones. So um, I would say anybody that's thinking of being self-sufficient for whatever's uh, coming in these next few months, yeah, you might start yesterday. Yeah, I mean, 
we got lucky finding the place because, you know, within a year, we're getting closer to that, but we're still so far off, you know, as far as self-sufficiency and things, it takes years. It does. And yeah, you can't kid yourself and it's not easy. And so, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we have, but that's, that's all you can do, you know? Yeah. So uh, uh, you we guys... wanted to do long before COVID and things like that. This is what we wanted to do anyway. So we were gearing yes. up at least mentally, you know, so. Yeah, I know. And that, that was your intention in Hawaii and everything, uh, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Until communism, yeah. the storm of communism. <laughs> oh, well, horrible. You know, when we were there, you know, we raised our family there, as you know, and we we're there for years and years. And, uh, you know, it's just old local styles before it's all built up, you know, out on old Maui, it felt like an old outer island. And the locals were like real self-sufficient. Uh, government was not to be trusted. Um <laughs> And, you know, uh, it was pretty uh, free and easy, but now it's, uh, man, it's been captured total libtard. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then with I, all the lockdowns, man, we know some people that are still over there and they just said it's, it's uh, you know, full on Gestapo over there. I don't know if it's eased up at all, but I wouldn't want to be there right now. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, you know, I, cause when I said, before, when we laughed, I was like, if it wasn't for my family and folks here, we would stay and, and fight the fight there, you know, but because we have such close connection here and, you know, they're getting older and that sort of stuff too. So it was like, we had mm -hmm. to sort of choose, you know, where we're going to fight the battle. Cause everybody's going to fight the battle at some point, you know what I mean? As far as right. what their agenda is, as we all know, I'll try to watch my mouth on YouTube here too, just so we know. So. Well, we uh, we censor ourselves a little bit just to use them for a while longer. Uh, on the other hand, I really don't give a rusty, you know, <laughs> yeah. a, a rusty <laughs> fart. Yeah, the uh, uh, we are on Be Sovereign right now, streaming now, Sayer G's platform. Um, so you guys can support us there. And we're also on Odyssey. Uh, streaming right now so we do have backups there and are trying to grow that and then of course we have our own platform that's coming out very shortly or at least our own private community platform that will be launching in a few weeks if all things go well that'll be on alphavedic.com uh, we are launching our private member organization or association with that and that will be essentially us strengthening our own sovereign digital space so everyone just we will announce that to the community once that goes live Patreon will be shutting down. People will be routing over to alphavedic.com. And we have an amazing, it's like Facebook in there. It's like messaging, groups, forums, all of that on our own server, on our own platform. So very excited about that. Uh, we will be announcing that very soon. Um, I will say one thing about the weather bear, and I, I want to take a little credit for the, all the orgone we've been doing. I do think we've been bringing back that. I think the natural state of this area is much more this, like much more rain, and we've gotten used to it. Uh, so it's your fault. I don't have any fruit this year. Well, so the way <laughs> I see it is the orgone is a living intelligence, and it's it's getting us back into balance. So it's having to bring back more moisture and stuff. So it's going to be a little on the gnarlier tip, but once it rebalances, then we should, it should be all good. That's my own way of justifying that, but it has been very interesting. So um, that being said, should we jump into this? I think so. Ready to do it. Do it. Oh, okay. Sorry. And I was having, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm have, I was having some internet issues, so hopefully uh, everything bounces out. Well, uh, I'll do my little intro, I'll throw it over to Bear, and then uh, we'll go. So um, you all know who, who we got, Marty Leeds, doesn't need much of an intro. Polymath professor of the Logos, Gematria guru, author and musician, returns for a Gnostic Kabbalistic journey through scripture. Uh, got his, his new book here, been really enjoying it, Marty, uh, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not as far into it as I'd like to be. Uh, just been so busy, but I'm really enjoying the read. Uh, it's fantastic and, and great work, sir. Uh, you've done a fantastic job uh, with that book, which you self-published, right? And, and put out yourself. So uh, yeah, you're I'm doing it, man. DIY guy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, DIY <laughs> all day long. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Marty returns today. Uh, he's a genuine seeker of truth, a brilliant teacher of the mysteries, and a preacher of the heart. In our last interview with Marty, we traversed traverse through a diversity of subject matter from Gnostic Christianity to the mathematics, symbolism, astrology, and mysticism encoded within the Bible. Marty's seminal works, Pi, the Great Work, Pi, and the English Language, and the Peacock's Tales, the alchemical writings of Claudia Pavonis were inspiring explorations of sacred number, geometry, and the math ma math mathematics that rule our universe but ultimately as a study of oneself. On this episode, we'll go deep into this latest work, Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, a textbook to the decoded truths in the Holy Bible. We'll contrast hermeticism with Gnosticism. That was my idea. I do have some questions there with that, I've, as I've been exploring that more and more, Marty, and further discuss banned books of the Bible, why the Bible is not a history book, the Bible, Kabbalah, overlap, and the absolute relevance to current global events. Marty's new website is GnosticAcademy.org. That will be in the show notes below, or already is. So please go check that out and support. And his videos can be found on his Odyssey channel that is linked as well. Uh, Dr. Berlando, one of our favorite guests, take it away, sir. Yeah, absolutely. How's it, Marty? Good to uh, good to see you, bra. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's great. To, always yeah, great to be here. Always a pleasure to have you, and thank you for making time for us. Uh, you know, I was thinking Thanks. about you the other day. I was out in my front yard in front of the house, and I got a whole field of trilliums out there. I got uh, you know crimson ones and white ones, and um, I think every time uh, I see them out there. But it's been a good year, you know, with all the moisture, they're actually lasting longer than normal here you know well into june and everything so uh they're out in full bloom but uh wow uh so much to talk about um i we definitely want to talk about your book uh really enjoying your sunday services by the way uh, i try to get them as regularly as possible farm duty sometimes i have to be a little flexible they take me away but you know, I get at least every other one there and I'm really enjoying them. And for people that don't know, and Marty will have you tell us more about them, but uh, you go into one facet of scripture uh, typically and, and go deep into you know, some kind of subject matter. And it's really, really fun. And uh, you know, your book is by my bedside all the time. Uh, the way I read your book, you know, there's just so much information in there is I kind of randomly open it up and you know, read a few pages at a time before I go to sleep. And uh, so I've uh, got through, uh, you know, pretty much all of it, but uh, amazing job. Anybody that hasn't seen that book, you really owe it to yourself. And uh, like Mike said, you know, um, we get into a lot of hermeticism and, and, you know, things, uh, 
you know, just different terminologies mean different things to people. Hermeticism to me means real science. And, uh, you know, I'm, you're a master decoder, you know, with, uh, you know, your mathematics and so forth. Um, I'm a bit of an amateur decoder myself, but I do it more through electrophysiology and, and uh, biochemistry. So I'd like to kind of compare notes because I think we're talking about similar things. And um, so, you know, why don't we just maybe go in and uh, start with your uh, book and your Sunday services and just tell you, tell us your intentions behind that, if, if you don't mind, if that's a good place for you to start. And then we can, uh, you know, we'll just follow wherever it goes from there. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, as, ever since releasing the book, that was kind of the trajectory was to, I mean, it's always been all the work that I've ever done um, that I focused on was, you know, theologically based, was based on religions, comparative mythology, that sort of stuff. And so when releasing this, this book, it was kind of like, okay, well, it's time to really sort of step it up a notch, you know, put the pedal to the metal. And so that's when we decided to open the church. And, you know, we really knew we couldn't do like sort of a physical church anywhere because now, you know, the subjects we talk about not, doesn't draw a lot of people, especially with the Christian crowd. Um, but we do it online, obviously, um, Sunday services. And yeah, I've just been going. We started on the first chapter of Mark. And then we've just been going through. And I think we're on tonight. I'm going to be doing chapter 12. And so we've done every single chapter and we just go through it, like literally line by line, you know, letter by letter, number by number and explain it all. Basically do sort of a layman's terms for the Bible because of the Bible for a lot of people goes way over their head. They don't understand it. You know, it's the, the language is very nuanced and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So that's the goal is to really just sort of say, hey, the Bible, you know, is the, the Bible is a book that is meant to be read just like all books. They're meant to be read and meant to be understood and that not enough people have the appropriate tools to um, and, and foundation to go into that book and actually really understand it. And so that's what we're trying to do over at the church is give people that foundation, you know, to give, you know, put the tools in people's hands. And so that's what the book is about as far as um, Lord Jesus Christ is really sort of encapsulating, encapsulating um, Christ and all of the lessons and things and the, you know, the things we can graph from the story and the name and the mathematics and et cetera, et cetera. So that's the impetus. That's what we're trying to do. Not, and not just awesome. focus on the Bible as well. That's a, that's, you know, we focus on that quite a bit, but we're also going to talk about in the future, you know, we're going to cover the Norse stuff. We're going to cover some of the Vedas. We're going to, you know, we do, you know, we, uh, as Gnostics anyway, we embrace all the great traditions because we realize when you get, you know, when you get past the exoteric or surface layer of those traditions, there is transcendental timeless truths within them and they can be extracted and they can be understood. So. Yeah. So since you, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, since you brought it up, it sounds like there's maybe little incongruity in the Orthodox Christian community that uh, maybe has a hard time relating to your interpretation of Christianity. So wh where do you think the blocks are there? The blocks are the fundamental understanding of what the Bible is. And, you know, that that's that's my take. I mean, and I talk about a little in the book, but growing up, I was never raised or reared as a Christian or any any particular religion or belief system at all. My parents just kind of like, hey, you go figure this shit out kind of thing, you know. So as a younger man, um, 
you know, basically, you know, getting into science and things like that and studying that and then that really not giving me, any, uh, you know, answers that I was really looking for that it started bleeding over into religion. Well, when I started asking the same sort of hard analytical questions about science, what, you know, to religion, it seems like a lot of the people, especially within the Christian religion, um, it's like they would get offended. They wouldn't have answers to it. They, you know, you know, fundamental questions about what it is you believe. Why, why are these certain stories in the Bible, blah, 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 and endless amounts of questions. And they didn't really, you know, didn't really have answers to it. So ultimately that made me seek out those answers in a very diligent, you know, dedicated way for many years, you know, going on well over a decade now. And so, and the conclusions I came to were diametrically opposed to what's understood in contemporary or modern, you know, modern Christianity. And so the fundamental approach to the Bible is what differs for me. Um, one of the things I think Mike even said it in the intro was that I do not view the, the Bible. And I don't know, to be honest, I don't know why anybody would as a history book at all. And so that right there is a fundamental difference. That difference allows when you release yourself from that theory, really, or approach, what it does is it starts allows you to really start to understand that book. All of the all of the roadways are that were blocked before all of a sudden become open. Was, that's my experience anyway, and that's what we teach. And, and so. you mentioned a lot of other uh, cultural approaches to spirituality. You know, the Nordic and so forth, and. When you get into all those old traditions, of course, we're going back to a mindset before we became overly materialistic and we're more in touch with that, you know, both sides of ourselves and people very commonly talked in metaphors and, and wrote in metaphors. And uh, in fact, it's a much more intelligent, uh, in-depth way of having a discussion and takes a lot more creativity. So. Uh, you know, when I read some of those works, and including the Bible, uh, you know, I, I look at the Bible, too, as a, a very in-depth account of uh, physiology, astrophysiology, and, and all sorts of uh, amazing things, you know, and just how to take care of our temples. And, and it seems very obvious on the, on the face of it, but we've come into such a surface level of mentality, I think, as a general population that it's really hard. You know, I'm a recovering Catholic and it was basically, you know, go to church on Sunday and forget about it. You're good, you know, and you have a good meal on Sunday with the family and, and then you're good till next Sunday. And that's the extent of it. You never, you know, even read the Bible, let alone <laughs> go below the surface of it. So um, I think as there's been a, a great resurgence and of course, with people like yourself and your book, you know, that understanding's coming back. So, so great work on that. So um, what do you see from your end? Um, you, do you see, uh, you, you know, all of current events and everything contributing to a mass awakening and us just looking at it maybe through, uh, you know, authentic interpretations of what the Nazarene and, and the great ones were telling us in the first place? I mean, this sort of gets into like the perennial philosophy in a way, in that the idea that the true meanings of these things and the true understanding of who we are as mm -hmm. a people and what God has put us here for, you know, in a teleological sense, what is the purpose? I think that goes in, in cycles and it's something we've talked about before. And I think right now we're in one of those cycles where, you know, we've, like you said, it's gotten, gotten very materialistic very exoteric and not esoteric. And we've really sort of been in the drudges of that 
for we're starting to come out of it though i think in fact i think i heard you mention on some show that it's like all the mysteries are starting to be unveiled and not just and not in just one area or here and there it's like all over and that says something to me about the sort of time period that we're in like that seems more have to do with the great flow of time than it happens to do with oh we can say it's the internet thing you know or something you know what i mean so um yeah i think it's the perennial philosophy uh, I, you know, I said in the last um, sermon that we did is that when you look at the traditions that I come from, that I studied for many, many years, being all the ones that a lot of people think are like demonic and stuff like that, uh, Freemasonry, Gnosticism, Rosicrucianism, you know, Esoterica, Hermeticism, all of those sorts of uh, traditions. When you look back, it's like you see that there is a lot of those people that actually did understand this stuff or had a much better grasp on it even 200 years ago, 300 years ago. So I think the, this, this foundation of understanding the Bible, what it's really all about, what the language really means, how to really decode it has actually been, this information has been here. There's just a resurgence of it and then a dying down of it and a resurgence of it and a dying down. So, um, anyway, the, that, the tradition, especially of Gnosticism, things like that, I think they, held on to the true knowledge and have kept it in all these sorts of ways um, through uh, ritual, symbol, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and me studying that over the years is really what's on, you know, helped the, the great work grow, if you will, or unveil all these truths. You know, um, I did not take the approach that any other, most Christians I know take. I took a completely different approach and that was to not, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm not, you're what, what you're saying about this doesn't make any sense. I've got some fundamental questions. None of them are being answered. Okay. Well, I want to know those things. And doing that is basically led me into all of these, you know, gematria and sacred geometry and symbolism and, and comparative mythology, which without the foundation of these things, there's, there's just no way I've seen now that you could possibly understand the Bible and the true meanings of it. There's just no way. Um, so that's where we're at, you know? True, true uh, syncretism there. I mean, when you read the Nox, uh, you know, different codex, the Nag Hammadi, it's almost like the origin story with the original Gnostics reads almost like a Norse mythology or something, you know, with all the different, uh, you know, different uh, levels of entities and things. It's really interesting how a lot of these traditions seem to come from a singular place. Um, and that's something I'd love to get into a little bit today. Do you do you feel that it does come from a singular tradition, or do you feel that there's something connecting us consciously where we just come to these divine truths from all these different, um, you know, cultural traditions? Let's Big talk question. about. Sorry, the... Marty. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. It's a great question, actually. I, I just got to actually think of a good answer now. <laughs> um, let's let's actually hit the nail on the head with that question and let's figure out let's determine for the audience where this stuff comes from and let's talk about the transcendentals when you look at i don't know if you guys know this book ovid's metamorphosis you guys know this book it's a classic book that basically it's a greco-roman myths and in this book and it's a classic work of literature right i mean people from like james joyce and t.s Eliot and william blake and blah 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 have all you know heralded this book in this book you have Basically, you know, like the creation, oh, you can't see this, the creation, you get the four ages, you get the flood, you get giants, like these are literally the chapters. So 
you know, if you take some of these stories and you look right at the Bible, the amount of correlations you can make are astounding. They're just left and right. You can just like, okay, so obviously you have some sort of parallels going on here with this. So then we say, well, okay, if we see parallels like that, well, where, where does this stuff come from? And all of these religions are based on the transcendentals. So what are the transcendentals? The transcendentals are things that are incorruptible, infallible, un, it, they're um, beyond man's ability to pervert them, okay? And so those ideas are all around us. What are those things specifically? Well, they're the patterns of the, the sky clock. They're the patterns of the stars above. No man can go and change the, the you know, the Alnatak, Alnalam, and Mintaka, the three stars of Orion's belt, not Dr. Bear or Mike or anybody that's listening can go and change what those star patterns are. And they will be that way. And as far as we know, they've been that way for the, the course of human history, right? Hence why we can still look at the Egyptian Dendera stone and see the same patterns. So what we have is, so that's one thing of transcendentals, the canopy of the stars above that's available to all people. Sun and the moon, the patterns of those, they're available to all people. Hence why you have so many sun gods, Adonis and Tammuz and Horus and, and Christ, Jesus. So that's one of the things that these stories are based on. Okay. The other thing is numbers and geometry. Why? Well, because numbers and geometry uh, are the same sort of thing. They're transcendental. The, the, you know, the, the qualities and attributes and properties and divisors of the number seven are always going to be that way. So seven's always going to be a prime. Its divisors are always going to be one and seven. They're always going to be equal eight. Seven squared is always going to equal 49. Adding one through seven is always going to equal 28. Those are truths. They'll be so infinitely and no one can change or pervert them. We can lie about numbers. That's a different conversation. But those are just truths. So when you see these stories, religious stories, things like that, everything from the stuff you'll find in the Mahabharata to the, to the Rig Veda, to the Holy Bible, to the Quran, to the Norse myth, will always be based on these transcendentals. And I can give you some specifics. You know, the Trinity is, is, is one that we talk a lot about because it's so prevalent. You can find the concept of three becoming one literally across the world and almost explained in the exact same way. You can find Shiva, Brahman, and Vishnu, creator, preserver, destroyer, Isis, Osiris, Horus, um, you know, uh, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Okay, well, the question you have to ask is, okay, either all of this stuff came from one singular source in which all these other cultures learned from, or there's an intelligence, an inherent intelligence that's within creation, that if you actually go and study the creation in and of itself, that you'll come to these things naturally because they're there, Right. Um, one of the things that the transcendentals, when we talk about number and geometry, is that number in one sense proves the intelligence and infinite intelligence of God himself, because every single number has its own qualities, its own factorizations, its own divisors, its own expressions in geometry, and those numbers go forever. And it doesn't matter what number you reach, you could reach 987,654,321. And that number is going to have a specific geometry, specific factorization, specific number of divisors. It's going to be a prime or not a prime. It's going to be odd and even, and no one's ever going to change that. So when we get to the myths, when we get to these religious stories, and we can go everywhere from the Norse that have nine you know, nine worlds upon Yagrasil tree, or we can go to the Greek Ennead, 
and or the Egyptian Ennead and find nine gods over here, or we can go to the Christian angelic hierarchy and find nine angels over here. You realize that when you strip off the exoteric, the surface layer, right? When you get to the truth of it, it's all come from a universal base of knowledge that's available to all peoples. And what I say is God put that right in front of you. So this is where these things come from. If you start with that foundation and understanding, then you can literally go into any of these books, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Poetic Edda, Metamorphosis, Ovid's Metamorphosis. You can go to, you know, uh, the Holy Bible. And if with that understanding, now the thing starts to bloom. Now you can make sense of what's happening. Now, just one more thing. This, you also have the exact same methodology of, enco of encoding these truths in the same way cross-culturally. And there's no question about it. You, like I said, you can go to the Norse mythology, you can go to the Lakota star theology, and you'll find the same thing. What did people do? They personified these things. They put, you know, the, the star patterns. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a hunter right there. And that's a bull right there. And that's that right there. And these nine angles, they're angels and they're, they're these, you know, mythical creatures and things like that. This, you'll find this, they do the same thing. It doesn't matter if you go to the Upanishads or the Mahabharata, the Quran, you'll find the exact same things. And so this is what the religions were actually trying to um, purvey to people was that this intelligent, connecting, inherent uh, religious process within nature. It's what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of folks, and we've even got some folks in the chat here right now that are saying that, you know, numbers are just abstractions and symbols and, and a way of externalizing spirit. But, you know, the way I see things is that it's, it's the mathematics reveal the patterns, you know, the creator's plan. And it's not, uh, you know, just looking at symbology, it's actually, you know, revealing that there is a repeated plan, you know, I, we, we see it, you know, in, in my chemistry lab, we, you know, you get to the Trinity, the mercury, the sulfur, the salt, and, and, you know, then you can divide each one of those into three, into three, into three, into three, and each one of them does different, you know, you can take rainwater, not do a thing to it, except put it through laboratory processes without adding anything else to it. And it changes all the properties of the water just by separating the Trinity out of, uh, you know, everything and then doing it again and doing it again. So you see this repeated pattern and, you know, it's demonstrable in the work that I do. Uh, you know, I can prove it uh, with measurements and everything. And then mathematics is, uh, uh, you know, tell me your take on it if you see it different, but it's a way of revealing those patterns when you see the mathematics playing it out. It's a way of uh, maybe decoding what the patterns are doing. I mean, that's exactly right. And not only that, like I say, there's not a single branch of study that you could do, science, right? An ology that you can you know, practice or, or engage in. Mm -hmm which you will not at some point utilize this universal language. And you also have to think about how um, like you can use math in finance and then you can use it in geometry and then you can use it to weigh an animal at the vet and then you can use it in chemistry. Why should, why should this language, natural language, why should it have all those applications? but it does, it's universal. And there's not a single branch of science that you, that you could do where you're not at some point gonna utilize math. 
nothing, there's not one, whether it's dendrochronology or what you're doing there, or like I said, so that it gets to the point where it's like, okay, well, wh what is it? What is this? What is math? People d denounce it because they've never studied it. And it's once you actually study it, you realize, no, this is a language of the creator. And not only that, that those numbers have philosophies, axioms. Um, I mean, axioms meaning like actual, what I like to call design signatures of the creator that, that spring from these fundamentals. Most people don't know them. So it's really easy to be like, oh, they're just this or just that. Yet you wouldn't even be watching Dr. Bear and Mike and I if it weren't for math. <laughs> you know, ever this entire thing is based on zero and one. This entire computer is made from math. This entire house is is framed through the axioms and principles of geometry and mathematics. That's why I can feel safe in it when the tornado was coming the other night. So all of those things, we don't get taught any of that. You know, and yet then you can't pick up the Bible or any of these ancient works and find specific numbers being repeated. And we could talk about certain ones, 108 and 432 and 666 and 40 and 3 and 7. And, you know, then you, you start asking the question, why? Well, the reason is, is because they are design signatures of intelligence. That's what they are, you know? Yeah, they've managed yeah, to unfortunately. take- the, I was just going to say, they managed to take the divine out of everything, of course. So when we learn math in school, it's just very pragmatic- very just, um, uh, you know, uh, mechanical, right? And uh, what I love is that they don't even express it as a language. They express it as just ones and twos. And it's just very much used for specific materialistic means where obviously what you're saying is that it really is the underlying code of, of the divine matrix of reality that creator is given to us. Now, I will say this, whether people agree with that position or not, that is the position of Kabbalists, you know, whether you agree with that or not, like this, you will find that exact same basis of information, like I said, in the beginning of the Norse creation story that you will in Kabbalah. And so people could argue that, okay, cool. But, you know, at some point you got to be like, well, what does this stuff mean? Like, what is the 10 emanations of God? A lot of people will get maybe we could talk about this just a hair. Like when you talk about math, it's like, oh, numbers are infinite and I don't understand them and blah, 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 blah. Well, the, 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 the Kabbalists and the, you know, this idea of the animations of God have basically said, well, it's really not that difficult. It really comes down to basically 10 numbers. And this is a provable thing. Once again, this is completely demonstrable. No one can possibly question this though. People will try, but, um, you know, the 10 emanations of God are understood as the, as the digits 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And from these 10 enumerations, units, emanations, you can create any other number in creation, which means that 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 is a natural numeric alphabet, right? So you're using those individual numbers and you can create any other number in creation. Now, that's just a fact. Anybody, you know, whether you put any religious ideas on it or whatsoever, that's just how math works, right? It shows the prominence of the decimal system. And this is what the Kabbalists would always say. This is like, hey, this 10 emanations of God, this is what they are. Every single one of those numbers has a quality to it, a philosophy, like obviously the philosophy of we understand zero, the nothingness and no thing, yet there's a symbol for this, et cetera, et cetera. Oneness, unity, totality, duality, polarity, et cetera. So, you know, this is what the Kabbalists said. Well, this is on your hands. 
So in the sense of, oh, we're made in the image of God. And then God said, I've made, I have an alphabet. It's absolutely a numeric alphabet that everybody experiences the exact same way. And then where did he put it? Literally right in front of you, you know, and in, the, in her, the, yeah, go ahead. literally, literally in front of you, where's my camera. And we'll get into her yeah. hermeticism a bit with this, your hands, right? You have, there you go. And digits. Well, in the hermetic sciences, you know, you talk about the ether levels and you get down to one of the levels and they call it the, uh, you know, the sound or uh, the chemistry. And they also call it the numbers stratum of the ether, which is where the resonance, you know, uh, creates uh, congeals spirit into what we think of as form. So when you think of uh, each one of the numbers as a specific resonance, it gives form very distinct characteristics, you know, that's born out in uh, vortex mathematics and the Enneagram when we actually can, uh, you know, relate it to emotional quality. So, uh, you know, I think that's where numbers really started coming alive to me when I realized, no, no, they aren't abstract symbols. They're actually, you know, resonant, uh, you know, frequencies and, and, you know, responsible for, you know, not the symbol itself, but, uh, you know, that number mm -hmm. that is the resonance, you know, in biogeometry, uh, there's a great experiment you can do, you know, where you measure actual, um, you know, resonant fields with your biogeometry instruments. And you can put an extract, uh, an abstraction like number seven, you know, on a piece of paper, and you will get no reading at all. But when you put seven objects all in a little cluster, then you get a very specific reading. It correlates to a color that, you know, uh, you can also measure uh, with your instruments. You can put eight objects together. You get a totally different reading, a totally different color. But if you put the abstract symbol eight, nothing. So that's what I think people really have to understand what numbers represent. It's such a solid point because it's like numbers become this, these sort of like, for most people, these cold, dark, like dead artifacts of whatever creation or something. And what you're saying is the most important thing because it shows that they're actual principles that are like alive, you know, and this is hence why you would see why numbers would actually be personified or anthropomorphized as like angels or worlds as they are in the Norse, right? The whole entire worlds are formed on the idea of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, stemming from the nothingness of zero, right? Those numbers, they have frequencies, they have geometry, they have a resonance. They resonate with one another naturally, you know, in, in certain weird ways, you know, once you start working with them as, as you have and I have and that sort of thing. And so people, you know, they have this in their head that they're sort of, like I said, these cold, dry artifacts, of dead artifacts of history or creation. And it's like, well, no, no. I mean, you can't eat when you think about music, music. How do we understand music? I'm not saying there isn't an emotionality to music or that sort of thing. But if you want to if I want to give you a sheet of music, what are you going to be using? Staff and numbers and notes to tell me, hey, this is the half. This is a whole. This is a quarter. This is an A, a B, a C, an A, blah, 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 blah. All of that, every single bit of that is the foundation of math. Anybody that does any sort of recording that sees a sine wave when they're playing a guitar on their I, whatever, right? You know, their iMac and they're recording. That's math. That's a, literally a wave. You can't even understand that unless you have the foundations of math, you know? And so this is what we, we talk about when we talk about the unit that mathematics in the sense really establishes a universality 
Um, another thing I was uh, I want to mention too is that when we talk about the stars in the canopy, right, the sky clock, and we look up at the patterns of the stars, right. Well, especially like the flat earth is like, you know, the true cosmologists I'll say of the world, you know, we don't even know what those things are. They're lights in the sky, right? That's it. But how do we understand, how do we have a relationship with those things besides oh, feeling the warmth of the sun and, and that sort of thing? We count their patterns. That's what we do. That's our relationship to them. The ascension and declination of those stars. How many, how many, you know, 365 days of the solar year, how many 29.53 days of the synodic lunar month. The only way in which to really have a direct relationship with them in this sense is, or, uh, is, is through numbers, is through counting, mapping, and tracking those patterns. And that's, one, once again, the establishment of a pattern or a cycle shows, once again, intelligence. That's a, that's a sign of intelligence. You know, it's not a sign of chaos. It's not a sign of disorder. It's a sign of design. And how do we, how do we establish that design? numbers so exactly and even math uh even contemporary science is recognizing uh, holographics and fractals and all we're doing is uh going back to the hermetic sciences showing that different things uh res the same resonance creates a different appearance or phenomena at the different stratus of the ether so on uh, one plane, you know, it'll, uh, you know, appear in one way, but the same exact resonance will create a different appearance, you know, on the crude uh, kind of form level on the ground here. And then microscopically, you look at it and it looks a little bit different, but it's the same resonance creating, you know, different levels of form holographically, you know, uh, to infinity, really. So, uh, you know, I think even contemporary science, even though they really don't quite grasp how it happens yet, uh, you know, we're all kind of coming around to the same conclusion. I, I, I like that you well, mentioned I mean, contemporary science real quick, because I think there's an important distinction here, right, Marty, is that I would say the lab coats of scientism look at these numbers towards their God, where, where we are or you are looking at these numbers as God's language. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's so funny when people say like, oh, this guy worships numbers or something like, like that's the farthest, like the furthest thing I do. No, it's just like those things help me understand the patterns in which God has created. Father, like in, in, the, in the poetic language that the Bible has written, you know, our father in heaven, father comes from the etymology of paternos, pater, which, you know, which is where we get the word pattern. That's literally where we get the word, you know, it's the very foundation of that word. So you say, oh, father who art in heaven. Think about what you're saying there. So, oh, patterns who are artistically created in the metaphysical. Correct, right? I mean, when you start breaking apart that language. So, father is a pattern. Well, I mean, as pattern recognizers, people dismiss that, oh, human beings are just pattern recognizers as if that's a bad thing or something. It's like, no, that allows us to see that there is design and order within creations. So explicitly, we're the, only, we're the only beings on this plane of existence that can actually go and calculate the, the degree of phylotaxis or calculate the, the, the Fibonacci sequence and then understand that that pattern of order is found in inanimate and animate objects. That allows us to be like, wait a second, there's something transcendental going on here. The birds don't get to do that. You know, the birds feel it naturally when they make the, their round nest, sure, right? 
but they don't get to calculate the Fibonacci sequence. They're not there figuring out what the square root of two is or what the, you know, YE is 2.718 or whatever. You know, they're not doing any of that. We get to do that, which here's the other thing that people will say interesting. It's uh, that's really interesting that people will say to dismiss mathematics is say, well, we don't find any straight lines or perfect circles in nature, right? Bullshit. We create perfect lines and perfect circles. We're part of nature, are we not? So what does that say? We, we get to create something that we don't get to see in all of, all of other nature, but we know it's there. We can look up at the sun and be like, oh, that's a circle. You know what I'm saying? So that says something about mankind's own intelligence. You know, how divine, and when you- full of divine wisdom we actually are, or we have access to. And recognizing the patterns would allow us to co-create without blowing ourselves up and uh, destroying <laughs> our ecosystem and uh, going to war with each other and creating lack. So, uh, yeah, it's nice being to be able har- to recognize yeah. the grand design. Being in harmony with it, recognizing that harmony in, in, a, in a real pal- palatable sense, like harmonic music recognizing that harmony and then trying to emulate it, relate with it, flow with it. This is what the way is. This is the classic notion of the, you know, the day Tao Ching, the way you hear this idea. It's all over the Bible, by the way, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's the flow. Recognizing that nature does have a harmony. It's a resonance. It has a flow. It has a, you know, just like the Pythagoreans said that there's a music of the spheres in that sense, that there's a rhythmic musical flow to nature to understand that and to flow with it and resonate with it. And then, you know, when, when you do the, you know, to me, my experience with that is the, the wisdom exponentiates. It's like, you're, oh, you just keep opening doors. And that's the way it really should be, in my opinion. I can demonstrate uh, when I create a planting bed here on the farm. And if I create a rock formation around it for the, you know, the borders, when I do multiples of 16, which, uh, you know, is a 1.6, the golden mean energy, uh, and I create that resonance with that number, then plants grow exponentially healthier and quicker. And uh, so again, numbers create the resonance and we use that in agriculture. To give people a, a, a true like cosmic understanding of why that's so important too is that when you look at the relationship between the sun and venus venus is always understood as this planet of beauty okay why like well why it's just it's, as far as we know it's just a, another light in the sky well when we actually count and calculate the path of venus it's a 225 day cycle it's a 225 day year well the the, the cycle of the sun is 365 well, 365 divided by 260 or 225 is 1.6. It's 1.62. So here we have, when we look at the sun and we look at Venus and we find that they have a relationship with one another. And what is the relationship? Well, it's the relationship of roughly 1.618, which is a pattern which is actually human beings balance from. And it's what gives, it's what helps give pattern and order to nature itself, which allows for beauty. So here you have this number that we can find almost, you know, almost in a, in a perfect pentagram. We find this number in basic geometry. We find it in plant growth. We find it in human beings. And then we look up at the relationship between the sun and Venus. And God's like, I'm going to ordain that to be part of my golden spiral as well. You know, 
So that's an as above, so below. That's not just stuck in some philosophy somewhere, some nice ideas that some people wrote down somewhere sometime. No, there's actual math to the idea of as above and so below, you know, verifiable, you know, not like, oh, this guy's got some numerology ideas. No, just do the math. So. And the resonance of Venus congeals on the ground as copper, you know, one of the sacred metals that are very important in old school alchemy. And so it goes. I mean, those people, they knew what the hell they were talking about. You know, we're like, like you had said, we talked about earlier that we're just starting to pick this stuff back up again. And the, the mysteries are kind of being opened up. And so we're starting to relearn, but I mean, now looking back what I know now and looking back at what I've read in the, in the past, I mean, these people, they knew what was up, you know, they really did. They didn't have uh, right now. We have so many distractions in our world, TV and phones and, and the lies and the materialism and that sort of stuff. And they didn't have that back then, you know? And so I think it was a lot easier to get right to the, the meat of, of this stuff. So well, there's less of a separation between the heart and the mind, which is supposed to be a singular brain, you know, when thine eye, when thine eye be single sort of thing. And uh, when you're operating with uh, both sides of the equation, just things become apparent. And physiologically, the heart is neurologically more complex than the brain, and it is capable of higher levels of function or logic, we'll say. Uh, than the brain is, which is, you know, uh, an important radio, uh, you know, transmitter receiver. And of course, we're talking about the mental and astral plane separate from just the pieces of meat in our body. But they do, they are the, you know, the step down capacitors to receive that energy. So um, yeah, we've been taken out of the center of our being, you know, the, the solar system of our own being, which is the heart. And uh of course, that's what the sinister force has done. It's brought us into the superstition of materialism. And um, that's where we are with medicine and everything else. So um, should we uh, maybe segue into, uh, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, I think in the Bible, they say, I think the greatest sin is denying the spirit, right? You can mess up all you want in this realm, but when you actually deny the spirit and go into full materialism, that is like the greatest you know, affront to God that you can do. Idolatry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it is interesting in terms of Gnosticism. One of the, I guess, core beliefs of the tradition there is they talk about the demiurge with the creation, how it's, you know, this essentially a flawed reality with the flawed God. Call me if I'm wrong, but this plays a lot into a very popular topic, especially we've had some guests of late talking about us living in a matrix, a simulation. Um, what is your sort of take on this uh, in terms of modern Gnosticism and how does that relate to these ideas of, of simulation theory and, and all that, Marty? Well, um, let me say this. I did like a two hour because a lot of people have questions on Gnosticism, like core questions like, oh, they believe matters evil and demiurge and, you know, this, that sort of stuff. And so I did a two hour live stream where I really answered and I really went hard in the paint uh, on answering a bunch of those questions because, yeah, there's just basically just like a lot of these subjects, there's tons of like miscommunication and, you know, misconstrued knowledge and things like that. So 
my, you know, uh, as a Gnostic, it's not like I think God is flawed or anything like that. Basically, when you talk about the idea that God, um, that, you know, a lesser being made the earth and that sort of thing, this is a highly, highly esoteric notion that most people take exoterically and then they're like, oh, that's nonsense. No, God is perfect. That sort of thing. So I actually go in and discuss that like this. No, this is an esoteric idea. And this is the idea that there's this God that's basically completely unknowable. It's beyond the beyond the beyond the beyond. You know, and that and that's the the notion behind that. So uh, I go into that in in, in depth. But um, Earth is and always has been and always will be a, a rites of passage for souls. That's what Earth is. When we get to the purpose, and this is really what Gnosticism gets to the core of. It's that look, you are a soul trapped in a body right? And you're trapped in the sense, you're a prisoner in this sense. And the whole point is to release yourself from that material bondage and recognize the material world is fleeting. It's passing. It's, it's impermanent. It's temporary. It's not going to stay. And the only thing that is actually eternal, immortal, that's not temporary, that's you know, permanent is that divine spark of God that's within every single human being. So man's goal here is, I mean, this is what God created earth for in the realm, in the theater, in the drama of the human experience. He put souls down here to undergo this process so that we could return home. And this fundamental notion of reaching salvation, being reborn, led into gold, rough ashlar to perfect ashlar, whatever. There's a bunch of different languages or ideas that you can couch this idea in, right? But ultimately it's salvation. It's taking that spark and returning it to the source. And that's what that's what we're here to do. And that's what Gnosticism is is all about. Gnosticism also hinges the ideas on, look, it doesn't go to men for their explanations for shit. We don't go to the traditions. We don't go to preachers or priests or blah, 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 and say, well, this guy over here has got all the answers and, and this tradition over here has all the answers. We're going to sign up for that tradition and follow whatever these men tell and that sort of thing. We don't reject the traditions. We don't reject the churches and things like that. We just say, look, God is our guide. When I want to go and find truth, I do not go to the corner of earth, you know, the church at Fifth and Vermouth on the corner. I don't go there. I seek truth from God. And that's where we get into the transcendentals. That's where we get into the things that are not perverted. You can't be perverted by the hands of man, those things. So that's really what Gnosticism is all about. The, um, the, 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 the current, what do we want to say? The, the powers that should not be the elite that are trying to control the world. This is what they're doing uh, uh, to a T is doing everything in their power so that every single human being that shows up here has no effing clue what they're supposed to be doing here. They want to ultimately control the process. This is how sick and psychopathic and truly satanic these people are. They want to control the process of souls coming down here and getting back to God. That's what they're doing right now. That's what they've been doing since day one. They understand what earth is. They understand how important human being is. They understand how divine we are. They understand how closely connected to God we are. They also understand the potential of the human being. And they're going to do everything in their power to squash that, destroy it, hide it. And that's, that's what they do. And that's what we're experiencing right now. 
And so fascinating with, uh, I agree with what you just said, and fascinating, though, that these same people that are insightful in that way cannot understand that they're trapping themselves in the same process of what they're trying to do to others. Well, this is, this is the core of, you know, one thing that I'd learned early on that I truly didn't understand early on, and it took about 10 years to really understand it, you know, was the idea of the sacred and profane. That there are people in this world, and there's certain groups of them, whatever we could talk, but um, that specifically think that you're not a human being, Dr. Bear, you're just some cattle. You're just an animal. Mm -hmm. That's all you are. And that's their fundamental beliefs. So they, I think they still have the belief of souls getting home. They just don't think that you're an actual soul of God. You're not a child of God. Now we know the truth. We know the truth, but that's the world that they live in. And that's why they're called sociopaths and psychopaths and deranged maniacs, because they can't see something so simple as look into another human being's eyes and see clearly there's God there. Clearly. I can look at that child's eyes and see that the, it doesn't matter what race or religion or where that child is from. Clearly, that has the spark of the divine in there. Now, you and I and Mike, and I'm sure everybody that's listening here can see that. There's people in the world that don't. And that's what we're up against. Well, and there's this idea that they've potentially separated themselves from source. And so they're relying, mm -hmm. relying upon this sort of black magic to fool us into giving our power to them because they have lacked the ability to actually create themselves. I don't know where you play into that idea, Marty, because there's also the idea too of, of coming back, coming back and reconnecting. I think anybody, even the, the gates of the world could, uh, could uh, you know, fix their ways and come back to God. Um, how, what do you feel about that? Yeah, every, I mean, we all have the chance, I think to get back. It's what it's your, you know, it's your choice. And I think the, I mean, I don't know what these people think. It's like, it's like asking like what a pedophile thinks or something. Sometimes, you know, you're just like, I, I can't even get into their head, you know? Um, I guess my question again, is, are they completely, are they completely separated now from the source or like they lacking that divine connection and they're almost like some sort of I don't know, uh, egregore of themselves or like uh, they've they've been infected with something where they they aren't human anymore. Or is it just this total immoral sort of I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. I don't know how to I don't even know how these people operate. I don't get it. I mean, you know, there's this idea of the generational curse which you don't have to get very esoteric about that when you just realize that, you know, I mean, some people think that because as far as I've understood the sort of like social Darwinism kind of thing or whatever, but because they've been born into wealth and their family lineage has destroyed people's lives and stolen money and thieves. And then they born into this and be like, Oh, well, look, this is God. This is what God wanted for me to be born into this. And this is why I'm wealthy. And this is why I'm here. And I'm, you know, that's when the idea of the uh, generational curse is that literally, literally curses people's minds for generations. And then they raise their children and then they raise their children. You know, they're suffering um, from like kind of the great deception, the great deception of the devil, you know, in many ways. Think about it. Yeah. Think about it in this way. Think about like the Amish people. Like if you want it, obviously the Amish people aren't like wicked and trying to take over the world. They're just trying to like, you know, grace, grace some good food and that sort of thing. To break out of the Amish, 
right? If you wanted to leave the Amish, right, that's it. You lost your family. You lost your friends. You're out on your own. There's no safety net. You're going to forget, right? Now, look at a satanic family. Like if somebody actually within that family got to a point where it was like, oh my God, there's a bunch of psychopaths here. These people are completely immoral and deranged. Now leave that. Would you even survive? You know what I'm saying? So we're dealing with theological mafias. That's what you're dealing with, you know? And that's, who's, that's who runs these countries at this point, you know? So um, anyway, I, I was going to read something. Um, it's from Frank C. Higgins. It says, uh, the task of the present age is to awaken public sentiment to the fact that these leeches and parasites are but traitors and sacred things. As the lawyer who employs the law for the land for the perpetuation of injustices, the chemist who uses scientific knowledge to establish drug vices in a community, or the merchant whose gains are based on the adulterants he uses. The truth is that there are no mysteries except the one all-pervading and ever-present mystery which each individual seeker for union of the segregated mind with the universal mind may fathom for him or herself without money and without price. So Frank C. Higgins is a, I think he was a 33rd degree Mason. And he's literally being like, the people that are in charge of the world are dealers in sacred things. They understand the occult knowledge. They understand what the purpose of earth is. They understand who you are. And that's what they're doing is, is, is hiding that knowledge. Um, the Bible, we just read from Mark, I think it's 10 or 11, where he throws the money changers from the temple. And in the temple, they're selling doves. Well, a dove is the symbol of peace, you know? So literally exactly what Frank C. Higgins is saying is exactly what Christ was saying. He's like, listen, you bastards, get the F out of my temple. You're exchanging money. You're selling peace. Yeah, come get peace for, yeah. You can get it, doves for, you used to be able to get them for $9.99. Yeah, now you can get it for $14.99 kind of thing, you know? <laughs> That's what these people are doing. And so uh, the public so needs the, to wake the, up to that. The profane, you know, we they they the chattel really is it's an interesting idea because it's like are we are people profane because of their own inability to to tap into this gnosis or are they profane because they've been um specifically imprisoned by these monsters to not be able to connect to the gnosis or is it up to you know what i'm saying it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way they call people profane but they're literally building this prison planet in some respects to maintain this ignorance uh through this secret you know these secret groups it's an you know and we hear it so you mentioned a 33 degree mason i hear we hear this all the time about masons and it drives me crazy uh, that they're all evil and like we're we have a documentary coming out on the ike on iconic with david ike uh, you know, his family's uh, network. And I can't tell you almost daily we hear, why are you doing that? Uh, don't you know David Icke is a 33 degree Mason and he's here to control the world. And so I'd love for you to address this. First, my first question about the profane and what is our role towards, are we profane or like, do we have to be in a secret society to not be profane? And how does that work? And then two, what your whole, I love your whole breakdown of the Masons. Well, the prof you make yourself, no one is inherently profane. Nobody. Everybody is, just as we said, everybody has that divine spark within them. And everybody was meant to be here. Otherwise, God wouldn't have brought you here, right? In that sort of sense. So 
everybody is a child of God born. Now, what you do here, because we have free will, and this is something that's very clearly expressed in the Bible in, in one document, but because you have free will, you get to choose what you do here, what path you go down. All of that, as a guy who's you know somewhat scholarly and writes books and things like that, I'll be the first to tell you, it has not much to do with this. Not much has to do with this, has to do with your heart. Everybody knows that. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the world to un understand, like I said, to look at a child's eye and then see that there's the divine spark in there and to say, well, you know, I've got to honor and cherish God and, and live a fruitful life and be moral and virtuous and upright and that sort of thing. That's your spiritual path. Once again, when you have a fundamental belief like these people have that their spiritual path is, I don't care about you. You're, I don't need to care about you. You're, you're inherently, from their viewpoint, profane. You're inherently, from their viewpoint, cattle. So you're what happens to you or your family or your nation or your race or your religion or your, I don't give a shit, doesn't matter. Doesn't even come into their thinking. Once again, for us, that's really hard to understand, but clearly that's what's going on. Nobody at the World Economic Forum is giving two shits about anybody at Alpha Vedic. That's for sure. Nobody you know, so there's that. And then, um, and that's been quite nice. That's played, oh, the, that's played it. That's played into our hands nicely. I hope they don't ever know who we are. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they know uh, the now, second, but, you know, get well, the second, the second question is this idea that these, um, these occulted, uh, you know, secret societies people call are really the mystery schools, et cetera, that somehow uh, in, in our communities, a lot of conflated this with the idea that these are, uh, these are the, e these are just immediately evil and that someone like who could be a 33 degree Mason is, is here to control the world is a sat is Satanist. Whereas I think you explicitly ex you explain this in a great way where, no, these are these are schools of thought. These are these are associations where they're trying to maintain this this knowledge because it can quickly get lost if we don't have these types of organizations set up. So let's yeah, let's talk masonry. Let's maybe give five, 10 minutes on this, because this is yet another thing that I had heard for many years. You know, I'd studied masonry. I picked up my first book on masonry, maybe 27, 28 years old, been studying it fairly diligently ever since because it was so damn fascinating. I'm not a Mason. I didn't join social lodge masonry, never done any of that sort of stuff, but I studied the works. So the, the, the biggest problem is that people come to masonry in this entire conversation with a preconceived notion or a bias. They already think that they know what's up. And I'm, you know, they don't, unfortunately. What is masonry? This is the first thing we have to establish. Masonry is exactly what masonry says it is. It is a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated in symbols. It, it's a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated in symbols. That's exactly what masonry is. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. Masonry is a recapitulation of the ancient mystery schools, even done in the same vein. They do the same sort of rituals. They have the same sort of symbology, the entire structure, even down to the numbers, utilizing the number three is all set up the same way. The Egyptian mystery schools, the Orphic mystery schools, the Pythagorean mystery schools, the, you know, all of those sorts of things, right? So that is what masonry is. Masonry is literally what you could, I call it, uh, make an analogy to Hogwarts. It's a occult school. It's a university. That's what it is. 
period. It's where you're going to learn about all the things that we do on our channel. You're going to learn about astrology. You're going to learn about geometry. You're going to learn about cross, uh, you know, comparative mythology. You're going to learn about religion. You're going to learn all. That's what people don't realize. When you study masonry, you're studying religions. That's what you're doing. Okay. It's all about being a better man. Okay. So that's what the tradition of masonry is supposed to be because masonry deals in the occult. Well, that's when you have all sorts of characters that come in from all sorts of walks of life. That means you can get the total psychopathic piece of shit and you can get the loving, caring, honorable, just human being. And they're walking into the same doors. Why? Because just as I said, masonry is a school. The, the amount of literature that masons like, you know, the Masons that I know, they're all unbelievably wonderful human beings. Some of the best people I know, like my good friend Amor is a Mason. They, those guys have, you know, for esotericists and mystics and things like that, hermeticists, these guys have uh, libraries that would make you wet yourself. There it's, you know, you go to these Masons libraries and they're like, Jesus, man, you've got books from the 1800s that are no longer in print. And those just, you know, like this is one book I showed this the other day. This is one book that my friend Ryan, who's a Mason, gave me. Um, it's called Christian Rosenkreutz. It's out of print now. I think I think there's one you can buy. It's like a hundred dollars. It's a it's a book, a collection by Rudolf Steiner. And Masons, mainly Masons are the ones that Theosophist Masons are the ones that have this. A whole book of just, you know, once again, just alchemical illustration, hermetic everything, you know, just jam freaking packed. Well, you're not going to find this at Barnes and Nobles. You're not going to find this down at the library. You're not going to find it. Chances are, if you go to any of your friend's houses, but you know where you will find it, go visit a Mason. And they're going to have those books because that's what masonry actually is, is people that are seeking out true knowledge of the divine. And like I said, because it is that, that's why you will have throughout the years, masonry being specifically perverted, or, you know, blamed. A lot of times masonry becomes the scapegoat because it's really easy. Let's blame those guys. It's the guys down at the lodge that have the secret handshakes. Blame those guys. You know, the people at the World Economic Forum and the Agenda 21 and the UN, they're not masons. They might have a mason here and there, but it's not like they're masons. There might be occultists. They might deal in the same base of information. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that they're masons. And this is the disconnect. And so really what you have is, as I've seen over the years, is a lot of truth seekers that are lazy that have actually not done this study that just go in and just, it's just easy. Let's just blame it all on Masons. And in doing that, what happens is you, you miss out on all the wisdom that they actually have to share. And well, an example is um, you, you can take a Reiki practitioner with the intent to heal and understand how they do that with their awareness of how to um, channel energy, you know, for that purpose. And then you can take another person that will use the same exact energy uh, with a different intention and be a voodoo practitioner. That doesn't mean the, the Reiki practitioner is being demonic. And I've always, uh, you know, seen that all mystery schools uh, we're simply, you know, teaching knowledge and that knowledge can be used for whatever purpose. 
So, um, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Mike and I both go off about this all the time where, where people are just saying, oh, it's, it's the Masons or whatever. And, you know, uh, in my practice of medicine for many years, I used many different techniques, uh, you know, including uh, Chinese medicine and a lot of uh, other types of principles. And I had um, orthodox kind of Christians that came to me here and there for, uh, you know, treatment, and they had to get permission from their pastor to see me, you know, to make sure that I wasn't doing some kind of demonic stuff just because I wasn't dispensing drugs, you know, you, uh, real yeah. medicine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's pretty absurd. And, you know, when you get into the original Masonic teachings, I believe just like a lot of the um, scriptures, you're talking about rebuilding the temple which I'm convinced, and I'd like to, uh, you know, hear your opinion on this, the temple is the human body, because the human body, when it is um, operating on all cylinders, when it is complete, it is a capacitor for spirit, and spirit is always pure. So when you have a body that is incomplete, then a temple that is, you know, still needing to be rebuilt, uh, it is not going to be able to house the purity of spirit and fulfill the purpose of why we're embodied here in the first place. So uh, when I hear, uh, you know, about rebuilding the temple, uh, not only do I, you know, equate it to, you know, understanding the science of, you know, your own temple, your body, but that's borne out in many, many levels of studies with, um, you know, through the signs of the, the, the sky clock and how each one is actually an embryological unfolding of the body. And then when you go in a, a, a different counter uh, circular position, you know, that's where you get into Steiner's where he's looking at the sky clock in the opposite way going uh, through the, the, the signs of the Zodiac to show how it's the whole expansion of the consciousness of the human uh, uh, spirit, you know, through different epochs of time. So um, yeah, anyway, just any thoughts on any of that? Well, you know, the idea that the core idea within Masonry is the idea of building the temple and they'll, they'll, a lot of times within Masonic literature, illustrations and things like that, they'll always reference Solomon's temple, right? And then you go and read in Kings, you know, Old Testy, the whole building of Solomon's temple. And they give you this, you know, it's a whole chapter and it gives you the details of Solomon's temple. And it had this brass and it was 30 cubits, this and blah, 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 right? And then at the very end, you realize that Solomon's temple was built to house the Lord, correct? Everybody, no one's going to disagree with that Solomon's temple they built Solomon great architect built it to house the Lord and then in the same Bible you read where it says not a hop skip it and jump later it's like well God dwells in a temple not made by hands so if they're building Solomon's temple and it's going to house the Lord what temple are they actually building well then you see that the entire the entire thing of, of of Solomon's temple is a metaphor for building your own temple up and that is going from you know, the ignorant state to the enlightened state, just as we talk about, it goes from the rough ashlar to the perfect ashlar stone, stone, you know, um, it goes in the tarot deck, you go from the fool to the world. That's what the whole process is, you know? And so that's the foundation of masonry. And when you actually take it seriously, read the literature and there, by the way, let me just say this, there's a difference between social lodge masonry and then the tradition of masonry, which is really the literature the, 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 you know, the mystics and the seekers and that sort of thing. When you read 
Masonic literature, that's all you'll read about building the temple, being a better man. If, if somebody needs a hand, you, you're, you put a hand out if somebody needs it, you know, you, you, that sort of thing. Your glory isn't in this world. You don't go around doing things good because you're going to get the pat on the back or so you can get some red carpet late rolled out for you. That's not what it's about. It's about being a better person because God wants you to be a better person, period. And what I find so unfortunate is I don't know how many over the years I've gotten just heap loads of shit for saying that. And I'm like, well, just go read it. Just, you know, and practically begging people. But no, that's Marty's talking about the amazing thing. It's like, let's talk about rebuilding your temple. You know, like I said, one of my yeah. good friends, Amor, he's, he's like a walking, I say it like this. The guy's a Mason. He was a Rosicrucian. He's d- dug deep into that literature for many, many years. I say it like this, this guy's a, he's like a walking hug. He's just like this vibrant, loving, just great man, but he's a Mason. And so therefore, you know, th- therefore there goes the conversation, right? So. Well, I see, I think it's definitely true that modern Masonry has had a massive decline. I mean, there used to be a Masonic lodge in every town in the United States for a reason. I believe that was for community and as a kind of a divine hub of, you know, of that, of those morals that you're talking about right there. And obviously I think the lodges have really been dilapidated on purpose. And that maybe is the great psyop going on in in our communities, demonizing all of this so that we get farther and farther away from rebuilding our temple, because obviously uh, the temple has been masked (laughs) of late and the temple (laughs) has been, (laughs) has been basically um, reduced to uh, a um, some sort of digital archetype in a metaverse which is where they want Mm -hmm. the temple to be. So uh, that is fascinating. And it really does all go back to hermeticism, right? It goes back. That's like the core tenets of hermeticism. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of detractors in, I guess, um, mainstream, uh, you know, scholarly work that say hermeticism only goes back to like the ninth century uh, uh, Arabic texts. And, you know, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, Hermes, Chemistagistus going back to Toth and the Egyptian times and preceding that. And, um, you know, what in your mind, um, in terms of hermetics, where did it come from? Uh, and uh, is this something that um, you see a revival of right now? I believe so stronger than ever. Uh, and, uh what is exciting you about where we're going right now uh, with your church and how you're embracing all of this uh, uh, with everything you're doing? Well, hermetics is the same. I mean, you could, we could say, we could throw like, we could throw masonry on this. We could throw Pythagorean on this. We could throw hermeticism on this. We could throw alchemy on this. When you get to that source, once again, the actual source it's those transcendentals. It's that universal knowledge system that is absolutely within creation. It's right above your head. It's right in front of you kind of thing. Right. So that's, you know, as far as the history is concerned, of course, we're, you know, we're taught, Hey, this comes from thought, Hermes, Trismegistus, that sort of thing. And there are writings on that, but ultimately it comes from that, the creation. So there's that. The interesting thing about hermeticism is that, and, or, and, and, well, it's hermeneutics. It's, this is the, so the let's let's go here. The Bible in Orthodox Christianity, there's a fourfold approach in which you're supposed to do biblical exegesis, right? So if you go to the Bible, there's a specific way in which you are supposed to 
literally look at the layers of the Bible and everything that's encoded in there and deconstruct it. Very specific. It's called the hermeneutic or fourfold patristic approach. And the or like I said, Orthodox Christianity still holds on to this, though they don't utilize it. They don't actually go in and utilize this method at all. This method is called hermeneutics. It's called, and it's based on the folk etymology of Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. So the very way in which you're supposed to deconstruct, do proper biblical exegesis is literally based on the folk etymology of Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus, and it's a fourfold approach. It's a literal, it's a moral, an allegorical, that's the third, and then the bottom, the seed, what they call the seed or the sowed, is called the anagogic. So literal, which is your basic story, the vehicle in which carries the fundamental truths within it, get the moral. So obviously every good story has a moral. Every really good story, of course, is allegorical and parabolic, as we all know. Um, you can go from, you know, William Shakespeare all the way to, like I said, you know, James Joyce or whatever, and you're going to understand that. Then at that bottom, so proper biblical exegesis, according to classic Christian met methodologies, the bottom layer is called anagogic. Well, anagogic means a cult. It means mystical. It means esoteric. So the proper way, if you're according to the classic methodology, to read the Bible is to seek out the true meaning, and the true meaning is a cult. Well, that's exactly what the traditions that I've studied for years are telling you. That's exactly what Gnosticism will tell you. That's exactly what Freemasonry will tell you. That's exactly what Knights Templar will tell you. That's exactly what Rosicrucianism will tell you. That's exactly what the Theosophy will tell you, right? These people, the, these great authors and you know, literary figures and seekers, that's what they wrote about. So that methodology is completely abandoned in every single church, modern church I've ever seen. They're not seeking out the anagogic. Seeking out the anagogic in your contemporary church is demonic, you know? And this is what we say, like, when you get to the anagogic, that's that level in which this is where the divine sciences are heralded and utilized. This is when you're bringing in sacred geometry. This is when you're bringing in etymology and phonology. This is when you're bringing in the star study and the astro, astro theology. This is when you're bringing in the seven hermetic principles, right? This is when you're bringing in, uh, you know, all is mind. Uh, there's gender and everything, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So my perspective from everything that I'd read and all the way up to what we're teaching now is that you can't even understand the Bible, the true meanings of the Bible without hermeticism, period, you know? So that's, that's a shocker for most Christians to the point where that's, they won't even, they won't even open that door because oh, what this guy's talking is demonic, blah, 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 you know? Well, the anagogic is going to tell you, Hey, why did, why is Jonah, why did Jonah spend three days in the belly of a whale? Well, if you bring in astrology to bear on that conversation, then you're going to say, well, that whale is Cetus. It's a whale that's right up there and it's available to everybody. And it's right by Aries. And now we have, and Jonah is, means dove, by the way, and there's a dove right there called Columba. And that's the constellation. So that story that's written right in front of you is written up there. And the only way that you're going to understand that is if you bring in the once again, hermetic studies, everything from the, you know, like I said, alchemy, astrology, sacred geometry, Kabbalah, etc. I think uh, basically the big problem is um, a lot of people aren't ready for the responsibility 
that accepting the truth would entail, you know, uh, too many people still have uh, daddy issues. So they externalize that on and, you know, need uh, a government to be daddy, a religion, a church to be daddy. When you really understand the occulted truth, uh, you know, it, it uncovers the, not just responsibility, but the, um, the capacity that we all have and what we're really here to do. And so I think we could just use that as an example of what's happening in our entire world right now. You have people that are ready to embrace their divinity and become active co-creators and take responsibility for that. And others that still want to be taken care of. The, the responsibility thing is huge too, because that's the one thing that they've really extra or taken out of our society is taking responsibility for yourself. And when, it, and the, this is what, once again, something that they'll teach you in masonry is that it's all on you. N nobody masonry. The, the one thing that they always tell you is like, you go knock, you have to go knock, you have to go ask, right? No one is going to go push you up that mountain. It's all on you. And that, and so the spiritual conquest, that journey is all about taking responsibility for yourself, putting it completely on your shoulders. This is what, once again, Gnosticism is all about. Not going to, you know, preacher Bob over there and be like, well, I just go to him every Sunday and he'll take care of my spiritual life for me. Nope, you're climbing the mountain, not preacher Bob. And so this is what Mastery will teach you. It's like, mm -hmm. it's your responsibility. And that has been, that's out of our society now. And so you're not going to climb, you're not going to climb Everest, somebody pushing you. You know, on the back, you got to make every step. So. Yeah, and that's so, why we're here. Um, here's a basic one here. Uh, what is your interpretation of the resurrection? Um, of course, we all uh, understand with uh, the resurrection of uh, Jesus the Christ. And uh, he also said, greater things ye shall do. And. So is the resurrection something that uh, only he was capable of or each one of us? And I, this is just your take on it. Um, you know, I have my own ideas. Uh, do you think that we're all capable of the same process? Yeah, absolutely. We're capable. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the whole, that's your journey here. That's our journey here is to die and be reborn. That's, that's, the, that's once again, couched in the Christian language. But because we're talking about an absolute universal natural process within the creation itself, that's available to all people, you know, so that the process of death and rebirth is that it's the same alchemical process. When you talk about going from, you know, the rough ashlar to the perfect ashlar, whatever, lead to gold, that sort of thing. You're taking that ignorant, atavistic, animalistic, lost self and finding God. And ultimately, that's finding the divine within here. And upon that, that's the resurrection. This is in the Bible. It's it's put in all sorts of different terms when Jesus goes to heal, like he'll heal the sick. So they were sick and now they're healed. This is the same. It's just different terminology to talk about this process of going from death to rebirth, death of the old self, death of the atavistic self, the ignorant self. And now you're reborn to a spiritual enlightened being. And so that's what it's all about. And you see this, like I said, Jesus heals the sick or we, you know, it's like, oh, this guy was dead and now he's, now he's born again and blah, 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 blah. All of those are metaphors for this process. The, um, when we talk about it being a universal process and that the, 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 the stories of all of these myths are based on those things, we all know 
that clearly Jesus is a representation of the sun. The three days is the winter solstice. That process, the symbolic process of death and rebirth is in the sun. It's a natural process that we see that, it's, that everybody experiences. We experience it diurnally or daily with the rising of the sun, and then it dies. And then what happens? Sun resurrects, resurrect, even on a cross, by the way, right? You know, um, so, you know, what you see is clearly ancient people looking at the patterns and order of design of this creation, finding that there was a fundamental meaning there, that God was trying to express something specifically, symbolically to the human being and crafting it within literally the patterns that we experience. So that process of death and rebirth, the sun reminds us of it every day and reminds us of it every year. Hence why Tammuz was a sun god and Adonis was a sun god and Jesus was a sun god and Horus is a sun god. You know, why? Well, because God's telling us something. Die, be reborn, you know? And this is what we're doing. This is what a lot of people are doing right now too. Looking at all of this stuff that we've been fed in our life, and just like you're saying, a lot of people don't want to take the responsibility for it, or they was like, oh, I don't, you know, I know the earth's not a ball anymore, but I don't want to get, you know, a bunch of shit in society and get, no, you just got to stand up and speak truth. There's so many people now, they're like, I don't care what people think of me or what any, like, I'm going for truth, I'm going to embrace it, I'm going to embody it, and I'm going to speak my mind, I'm going to speak it out. And that's, that's the course to be reborn right there, you know? Mm -hmm. aligning yeah, of with course God, that would be with his yeah the idea of uh the average person capable of the resurrection would be pretty blasphemous in a lot of christian circles could you comment you know you and i had a little um conversation based on uh when i read the first chapter of your book or i think it was a forward where you talk about the historical jesus and the different names then can you maybe comment on on uh, your take on what the historical Jesus or whatever name you recognize him by uh, who that was? Oh, what people will do is we've seen this over the years um, all my life where people will be like, well, his name is Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that way in every single modern English translation, it doesn't matter what Bible you pick up. Right. And then of course you see, well, people say his name wasn't Jesus. It was Jesus. And before that it was Jehovah or whatever, that sort of thing. And so therefore, because of that, we can't deconstruct the name of Jesus and find all of these, all of this math, pi and E and, the, you know, the, the, all of the stuff that we could find in there. And the problem with that is that, well, you're reading and you're speaking in English and you're reading an English Bible. So it's like you're denouncing the very language that we use to communicate right now, to tell your wife that you love her, to explain all of these complex issues, to express ourselves emotionally, to pray to God, to worship God. We use this language to do all these things. And then all of a sudden you say, well, Jesus's name might be in encoded. Well, his name wasn't Jesus. That's that's the answer that you get. And so that's, that's unfortunate because it's like, no, if you, when you really get to the Bible, you realize that whoever did translate this, when you really get into it, they knew what they were doing. They, whoever it was, whoever these people were, the, you know, the history is questionable in my opinion, but they knew what they were doing. And there is telltale signs to show that whoever put this together was expert, right? One of the things that they're, this is the, the I don't want to go off a little diatribe here, but um, cryptology 
is a study that's been known for a very, very long time. It was even popularized at one point. Guys like, I just talked about this, Edgar Allan Poe was known to have works that were ciphered. William Shakespeare, it was well known that works of William Shakespeare had been ciphered. Not only that, like I said, it was popularized at the time. So people were starting to utilize. So all of this, so in other words, some of the greatest literary figures of all time, some of the greatest works of all time are well known to be ciphered, that deeper levels of information were, were encrypted, encrypted within these works. There's no question about it. You can go to, you don't have to go to some tinfoil hat and nut about it on the internet. You can go to professors of language and they'll tell you this, you know, at literary scholars. So then we get to a position where it's like, okay, so William Shakespeare encoded deeper levels of information and Edgar Allan Poe and guys like probably, you know, William Blake encoded, but the biblical translators and writers didn't. You mean well, to tell, like, I know. That's, I know. You know well, it's like, <laughs> well, going back to these traditions, the Masons and such, you go to Francis Bacon, who's probably Shakespeare, and obviously with the King James Bible and all that, it seems like obviously they were taking these traditions forward and putting this important information into the English language out of respect for um, their own tradition and where they're coming from. That makes a lot of sense to me. So for us to say it's Yeshua yeah. and not Jesus, but what I love about beyond all that, Marty, what I love about your book is that through the numbers and through the code, you show that Lord Jesus Christ, with all of the different, um, I don't, all the different coding and how it all works out, it's obvious that there's a grander design, and that's it's a divine design that even supersedes, you know, Bacon and these people. Yes, you can. This is the yeah. This is the idea that it's like you can't just be like, oh, it was John D. Or a lot of people want to do that because it's like you you see that this is not just some dude in the 1600s that like as you were saying they were bringing a tradition forward that had that they had already been a part of, right? Then you actually go beyond that. Then you go and look at okay, we're talking about the New Testament here, right? Let's go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is. Without question or controversy, there's not a single rabbi that you could talk to that's not going to say that you that that thing isn't encoded, that Kabbalah isn't a fundamental and quintessential part of the structure and basis of the Torah. Every rabbi is going to tell you that, but forget about what their opinions are. You can just go and actually find it yourself. They use, you know, like you could look at Genesis 1-1 and show that there's extremely specific things encoded in there. The you know the twelfth and twenty first prime the numbers thirty seven pi is encoded in there. There's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about. The seventy third triangular numbers encoded in there. Anybody can verify that. Anybody can do that. So here we have a tradition that's unquestionable was encoded, and now we bring it to the New Testament. We bring it to our own language in our own time, and not I mean pretty much every Christian that I know, save for the people that show up at my church, are like, no, that's not. That's just all number magic and secret decoder ring something 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 would you say the same about william shakespeare's work you know so um, well and on, there, the, and on the flip on the on the flip side of that uh, people in our community like to to cast doubt on the new testament the canonical gospels because they say those were specifically written by rome or by the controllers to um have their own sort of control system on the theology and that you know we can't really actually take any of that to heart because that has all been manipulated. It's not originally Jesus's teachings, et cetera. Um, however, what you show, you show when your breakdowns is there is a divine, some sort of divine 
I don't know, message coming through that, through the symbology, through the codex, through through uh, the numerology that defies that that whole historical kind of breakdown. And then, of course, we know with history, with all the resets and all the stuff going on, we don't even really know what if that can be taken to heart of all the Council of Nicaea and all that stuff. This is a this is one of the fundamental problems I had very early on, even before like the Tartaria stuff was you know presented and things like that because i'd researched lost civilizations and that sort of thing and it was very clear at one point or you know even early on it was like well we can't trust history like i'm not saying we can throw all of history out but the idea that we can take the biblical stories and graph them onto some linear history that's two thousand years old is horseshit no you cannot and i think that we understand that pretty well now Right. Is that look, I mean, go back two, three hundred years, it starts to get a big question mark. So most Christians come to the Bible with that interpretation, like it is a 2000 year old book or, you know, that sort of thing that it's recording 2000 years of history. And that's to me, it's just there's nothing there's nothing that shows that at all. I mean, one of the things I even bring up in, in you know, one of the chapters is here we have Jesus Christ. God in the flesh coming down to earth, performing all these miracles and walking on water and all this sort of stuff, right? And then we have an entire book that talks about this. And we have when he was born, we know uh, who his mom was, the entire lineage of him all the way up to where 42 generations, Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ, all the way up to Christ. Then we have Magi that show up and we know what the Magi said. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen a star in the east and come to worship him. So we know all this stuff about Jesus Christ. And then we ask, when was he born and when did he die? The son of God was on earth in a historical time frame. And you wrote all that shit down, but you didn't tell us. And we're still arguing when he was, when he died. There's not a single date in the Bible. There's not one singular specific date in the Bible that says August 20th, 1944. Nothing. Why? Because it's not a history book. It's a Mm -hmm. book of timeless truths, of timeless wisdom, and that can be proven. And people's perspective of the book being a history book can absolutely not be proven. So that's so most Christians think that's an attack on their theology. Well, I'm not here to attack your theology. I'm a Christian and I run a church and I wrote a big book, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And because I want people to understand it better, you know. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Well, there's the apostolic tradition, too, where you can track it back. But even then, when you start to track it back, you get mired in all of the all of the inconsistencies of what academia calls history. And so I think it's a much more solid thesis to go with what you're doing and breaking down and looking at the transcendental, you know, sort of uh, uh, code that that is showing these these divine truths that supersede our inability to know really what's going on. And even classic academia looks towards, you know, we got to look at fundamental text. We got to go back and look at primary sources. Well, how do we know what these, how legit these primary sources are? Were they doctored? Were they changed? We've lost so much. Like we can't even really rely on that at all either. So I just want to say, appreciate everything you're doing, Marty, because it is true science and um, it, you know, relates to gnosis and exactly what your church is all about. And uh, you're just doing a phenomenal job. Uh, Bear, were you going to say something? 
Well, I just had one like real super basic question. You know, when we say I am a Christian, uh, what does that mean? Does that mean we are adhering to a philosophy, uh, a system of morality? Uh, does it mean we are um, following a historical figure? Uh, all of the above. Um, and if it's not too personal, what, what does that mean to you? Uh, you know, I'll tell you what it means to me. I mean, take up your cross and follow, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just did this live stream about the three theological virtues, right? And it's uh, faith, hope, and charity. Most people know them. Now, the longest time before I actually got back to the Bible and started reading it and picking it apart and really studying the heck out of it, I had heard those three things from Masonry. I thought that was a Masonic thing, but Masons actually got it from the Bible, and that's faith, hope, and charity. And that's basically what? It's your moral guidelines in life. Like I said, it's not about this stupid thing here. I'm not saying you don't, you, you have to be discerning. You have to be critical thinking. You have to challenge yourself. You have to, you know, all of that sort of stuff, but it's not about here. It's about the love. It's about the charity. It's about, you know, the reason I do service is because I want to be in service to people. I spent a lifetime not knowing shit. Then I figured some stuff out and now I want to let you guys know. So you will not have the same rough time that I had going down every stupid path and stumbling and falling and scraping my knees and that sort of thing. So that process of love, charity, giving, you know, community, family, all of that sort of stuff is all about, it's all about being a better person. It's about being virtuous. It's about being righteous. It's about being moral. And that's really what it's all about to me. The, 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 all the numbers and the, the geometry and the phonology and the etymology and the star study and stuff like that, all of that is there to do is to help you understand who you are better you know, and how, how close you are to God, how, how God is right within you. And all of those things are the proofs. Those are the evidence that we seek. Okay. And so that's what it's all about to me. It's not about believing some man's going to come back and save everything the, in, in a historical way that Christians believe. I actually think that's antithetical to being a Christian, you know, um, because in one sense, I think it's idol worship. You're, you're, you're making an idol, an icon, you're worshiping that figure that's somewhere in history somewhere, and maybe he'll someday he'll come back kind of thing. When the truth is, he's in the here and now, the eternal present is Christ. And when that is understood by more people than, you know, maybe we will have that renaissance and rebirth and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the perennial philosophy will be back and so we'll see. And when you and when you want to be really scientific about it, when you start to actually understand these core values and this morality and you start implementing in your life, you'll start to see things actually changing in your life. You'll have the empirical uh, data to show that this stuff works. Right. Because you'll start manifesting, you know, uh, brilliant, brilliant things in your life. Mike, it's just such a freaking phenomenal point because it's the one thing that I was not expecting throughout this whole freaking thing. You know, when I went down this road, like whatever, 10, 12, 13 years ago, I had no idea the doors that would open up. You know, just the fact that I'm even sitting here speaking to you guys, but uh, you know, the synchronicities and the, the magical moments that were just like, oh, Jesus, you know, and, uh, and there are a lot of the things that you can't language, they can't necessarily even purvey to somebody because they become so personal. But people know what I'm talking about. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. No, I had zero understanding of any of that going into this. 
And so that when those things start happening, like I said, the magical moments, the synchronicities, the times where next thing you know, all of a sudden it's like God just went whoop here. Here's a bunch of information and popped into your head. And you're like, well, where, where, where did that come from? That certainly didn't come from me. I'm not that smart. You know, that kind of thing. When that shit happens, it's like, Jesus, you know, then you realize it's like, okay, there's something else going on here. This isn't just a bunch of number, whatever, doodling or whatever, you know? And it is unmistakable, undeniable, and uh, phenomena that manifest in your life when you go down this road is incredible. You know, I've had, I asked you that question because I've had many people ask me, are you a Christian? And I have to kind of think about it. It's like, well, what does that even mean? And I usually just say yes, because I really embrace, you know, the, the spirituality of Christianity, the principles and, uh, you know, exactly as you uh, very eloquently stated it. And I couldn't think of a, a better way to round out this discussion. So that was, that was great. Thank you so much for that. Um, so maybe if there's any final thoughts you have, uh, would be great. And also, um, you know, maybe tell people again how they can find you and uh, maybe talk about your uh, Sunday service again. Uh, you know, and I'd encourage people to attend. It's a, a wonderful experience. So, uh, and thank you again for being with us, Marty. So any final thoughts? Well, thanks for having me on. I always appreciate talking to you guys. It's, it's like my favorite show. You guys are my, I don't even listen to that much anymore, <laughs> but I still, I still listen to you guys. So, cause I really enjoy the show. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah. Sunday service every Sunday on my channel, 9am central standard time, though this Sunday I won't be doing it because I'm going to Missouri. I'm going to officiate a wedding, my first wedding solstice weddings that's cool uh, um but great. sunday service yeah every 9 uh, a.m central standard time and then um i just like we were talking about i just released lord jesus christ and then i just released another book um edited re-edited this book the peacock's tales and then hopefully next month i will be this book will be out I, it's a combination of the three books i made before pine the english alphabet volumes one through three it's a collection so updated basically all the old books and um yeah and then just the website masticacademy.org is the best place and um like i said uh, sunday service is usually about an hour hour and 15 so we try to keep it as tight as you can but it's a good listen podcast is free video is free and if you want to support the work you can so hey marty got a quick question um in terms of law and stuff have you are you looking to do your 508c or uh how are you have you looked into any of that setting that up for you as a church we are um uh we're not dealing with the irs as as far as any of that's concerned um in fact one of the things that we're working on as far as the constitution of our church is actually setting up an affidavit but not based on anything constitutional based on natural law and based on biblical law um and so basically understanding that and making it in an affidavit form that it's God's jurisdiction. He owns everything, is everything, owns the land and the air and my body. And he'll, he brought me here and he can take me whenever he wants. And I am always in his jurisdiction. I'm his servant. He is my master. I am his slave. And that means no man can come and claim jurisdiction over me, over anything. So we're not, uh, this church is a completely natural church. Let's just say that we're independent. So brilliant, brilliant. Love it. Yeah. That's uh, that's right up our alley for sure. That's how we roll. 
That's great, man. Well, hey, uh, such a pleasure to have you on, Marty. Uh, uh, everybody go check out his new site. Definitely grab this book, Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great read. Uh, if you're being triggered by any sort of like Jesus talk or anything, it's, it's, and you're, you know, I just grab it. It's not, uh, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. It's about Jesus. Of course. It's about the divine connection of, of who we are to the, to our language and to all of that. But it is just, it's a fun read guys. It's, it's really cool, man. You, you, you tap into so much. It's truly a, a, a work of syncretism in here. So congrats on this. Uh, I know you've put a lot of time into this and I love that you self-published it. That's the future. That's where we're all going. We're decentralizing, right? We don't need no stinking publisher. Uh, so great job, Marty. Appreciate you, man. Uh, we always love having you come, come on here. And hey, if you want to come out to Music and Sky, looking like now it's going to be uh, probably first week of November. We keep having to push it back a little bit, but this beautiful location, uh, if you want to come out and do a Sunday service, we would love to have you. Uh, we, that would be amazing in front of the whole life, you know, festival community there. Uh, that could be really, really cool. So we can talk. We got some time. Uh, I know you had planned originally to come out last summer and things had kind of changed on your homestead. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we can talk about it, but uh, very excited uh, for Music and Sky. That's going to be, uh, we are doing the festival. That'll be, it sounds like the first weekend of November now, guys. And that's the full family festival. So, uh, okay, guys, thanks so much. Uh, Marty, uh, good luck with your trip down to Missouri. Uh, enjoy that ceremony. And uh, we look forward to catching up and, and checking in on your services on Sunday. Everybody, thanks for watching. Please give us a thumbs up. Uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Share with your friends and family. That really helps us out. Uh, and remember, get outside. Go plant something. Go for a walk. Mother Nature uh, is the best educator and <laughs> grounds us back to who we are. Next week, Bear, we got Justin Franson on, I believe. We're going to go deep into oh, fun. urban. Great. Yeah. Uh, urban survival uh, uh, thing he's doing and getting into security uh, in your digital space. And, I'll, and some really interesting topics. So uh, thanks, guys. Love you all. We'll see you next time. Cheers.